Welcome, everyone, to the Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that in between this episode and the last one, he went into WITSEC for 48 hours. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Pete? Oh, I was just waiting for you to buzz me in there, Matt. The Daredevil podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 202, Dogs to a Gunfight, is brought to you by Get It All Pawn Shop. Whether you're in the market for a brand new IKEA phone, an encoded NYPD scanner, or anything else, we're a real hit with our customers. Order in the court! One more outburst and I'll hold you in contempt. Let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due. Our teaser act begins at the hospital. Uh, Forensic teams collecting uh, items, evidence for analysis. Suddenly, Foggy is out on the street. It's now daytime. He's on the phone with Karen, and we have a reporter on the street giving her stand-up, catching us up in the exposition that Metro General uh, has been put on lockdown. They're looking for the uh, the perp uh, in the building. Reports have shot fired, et cetera, et cetera. And some handy recap there from the TV news reporter. Again, I feel that there is a spirit to this second season that shows up in scene after scene and in this TV news reporter recap in particular here where there's there's a speed in this season that last season did not have. Not a criticism from last season, but there's just a little bit more pep to the step here. And Pete, we have Foggy overhearing. Yes, Foggy, you using his normal hearing to overhear that uh, that there might be a perp over on the, the building on tenth, maybe. Yes, uh, gets himself buzzed in by telling somebody he lost his keys. You know, who who says New Yorkers are hard hearted? Doesn't find anything on the top of uh, the one rooftop. Goes to another building. Oh, your kid locked you out. Yeah. You think I'm some kind of idiot? Are you some kind of idiot? Yeah. Buzzes him in. Goes up to the top of the roof. Okay. There's laundry. uh, And there's his buddy's feet. I like that in these rooftop scenes, uh, there seems to be a repeat of similar shots uh, from the fight just to kind of at, at times uh have us feel established is this the right rooftop yes it is no it isn't um the same director i believe it's phil abrams is the name uh for these two episodes and uh more on him later but first pete have they killed daredevil in the end of the first episode do they find his body and bury him and that's it (laughs) uh he wakes up kind of he can breathe on his own but he can't get up I like that there's an extra tight focus here on Foggy. I wondered if it was maybe to hold back us seeing the suit in in bright daylight. Maybe it's just to have us simply focus on Foggy. But uh, with Matt breathing, alive, seizing, oh no, we head to the title card. The rest of the episode proper begins back in Matt's spacious studio apartment with his suit off. And how did Foggy get him back? You know what? It might be narrative convenience that they don't show this, us that because it probably was a bit difficult. But as far as I'm concerned, how about this? It's narrative convenient, c- convenience that Foggy got him back somehow without a problem. 
all right i'll uh, to me like that's a gimme i'll give that one to you this is a a a wonderful and amazing and weird and fantastical world that they're in so fine that happened more importantly matt is awake alive he's okay he must be okay pete he just wants an aspirin maybe two and uh, with that, Foggy returns to the lecturing mode that we saw much of last season. Yeah, maybe you need an x-ray or a psych evaluation. But Matt acknowledges that this was a dumb mistake. The blood smearing the right hand of his face, the, the right hand side of his face, would uh, attest to that, that he missed the uh, gun at the ankle. He should have heard it, but this guy's fast. There's also some speedy exposition saying that Karen got grotto to the NYPD. Again, <laughs> having watched shows that are that, that are poor and clunky with their exposition, this just works. Of course, Matt's going to get the update. And, if it, you know, of course it is going to come from Foggy. And best of all, we don't need to see Karen getting grotto to the NYPD. She She went off speeding last time. The story moved to the rooftop fight. We don't need to see it. They just said it. It's one of those things where we're able to zip along here with a slightly faster paced episode compared to some of them last season. And and it's all working. Real meat of this scene, of course, is the conflict between Matt and Foggy. Matt wanting to get back on the streets to protect them. Foggy wanting him to rest. But Matt has seen not only what was done to the Irish, but the Mexican cartels as well men left on meat hooks to die but foggy maintains that he's donated his fair share of blood and he's got to at least let the people do their jobs at this point foggy uh, counsels for matt to put the suit back into its wacko box yes and whatever he... wacko box it <laughs> came from indeed uh there's a glassy-eyed look to charlie cox in this scene and we the audience so rarely see his eyes uncovered and we of course see it more than than the characters do i almost said the other characters but we're not characters in this or are we twist we're on the twilight zone but anyhow it, it's rare to have him getting close-ups where his eyes are uncovered and i don't know if it's his wonderful acting or if it's just some tips that he's gotten from uh from those who are blind, I know he, at New York Comic Con he made reference to having spent uh, spent uh, time with a uh, a coach who is himself blind. But there's uh, there's just something here where the character's lack of vision is sold in a really wonderful mm -hmm. way. And I just kept saying to myself, "Well, it's not just because he's not making eye contact. It's not just there was just some extra there." And I don't know again. If it's eye drops, if it's acting, if it's being in the moment, whatever it is, it just really works and reminds you that Charlie Cox is a fantastic actor. It even comes across in the final scene of the episode when he's got the helmet on with the lenses. Mm. He never seemed more blind to me throughout the run of this series to that point than he did then. Um, and again, credit Charlie Cox on the method of, uh, you know, being blind. But um, back in this scene, they do, at least Foggy mentions, you know, what would have happened or wonders what would have happened if they were found stumbling back home with him wearing the suit. And though he looks like S, Matt, our first of this episode and our 12th of the second season, um, you know, the idea that Grotto is safe, that Karen is safe, 
that Matt is home now, safe. That's enough for Foggy. He wants it to remain this way. He wants the trust. Well, Pete, speaking of Grotto and Karen, the story moves to Grotto and Karen at the police station. And Karen's working on that paperwork. And uh, we see that Grotto has no one in his life. Great little character shading Mm -hmm. moment. Um, But two, Karen, for all her professionalism, is scared. And it's, it's, it's just an incredibly potent scene for all its uh, smallness um, because you get character moments out of both characters. That she's asked if she's scared. It's not apparent readily shows you the growth that this character uh, in Karen has come through. And, and we're going to touch on that throughout this episode because there are some great moments um, by Deborah Ann Wall. But uh, Foggy's uh, there. Um, Murdoch, he explains, has taken a sick day. Um, and now it's the question of preparing Grotto to be handed over. And Pete, you mentioned uh, Deborah Ann Wall there. Worth uh, bringing up the uh, little factoid as mentioned at, uh, at New York Comic Con. Here's an actress who uh, was 30 at the time of shooting, uh, has since turned uh, 31. But in her 30 years of of time on this earth, and uh, obviously less than 30 years as a professional actress, this is her ninth straight television season of constant work as a main cast member, which is just astonishing. It's astonishing that she's had this much uh this much success well maybe the success isn't astonishing because she's wonderful but i'd mention it just because here is someone who is uh relatively young playing somebody who has a whole bunch of emotions going on and you wouldn't think that that she was as young as she is not again not that not that we're two old guys here but just you know she she, she's a, a young woman who has a worldliness to her and uh and so welcome on screen well, coming into her own on a show that rose its profile as quickly as True Blood did, I think certainly benefits her and benefits this character she's playing in the show. Indeed, Pete. Back to the show. Foggy arrives saying that Matt has taken a sick day, uh, which is uh, obviously at the very least chuckle worthy, um, even more so you know, for a I don't want to say a sole proprietor because there's the two of them, but you know, <laughs> there are three employees, two are the bosses. I don't think that there's exactly like a sick day bank. Um, but Grotto says that he assumed uh, that this attack, Pete, it came from an army given the precision that it took out 10, nay, 20 guys. And uh, obviously, obviously uh, not quite true. Yeah. The, the rumors they talk about and, he thought it was ridiculous. 10, 20 guys mowed down precision tactically. SEAL Team 6 is referenced. That it sounded like some ghost story you tell around the campfire. Uh, you know, an and S13, Matt, that would make <laughs> freshies crap their pants. With that, Mahoney, good old Brett Mahoney, comes in Mahoney. to give Grotto Mahoney to give Grotto a change of clothes, and then Pete, we're in uh, not the interview room, but the back office of this precinct. Pete, this looks awfully familiar to one of those precincts where rumor is a well-mannered Englishman played quite a prank on everybody about about six months ago. It was I a was... Real, real good knee slapper for all involved. I would say it's the self-same. And uh, while Mahoney said there were no leads in the uh, 
the sequester room. He's now admitting that the DA is sending somebody over to talk about witness protection and that they are, uh, you know, trying to get this psycho. Actually, but, uh, Pete, I just, I just, yeah, I, fresh off the facts, machine, I have this piece <laughs> of paper. Turns out that his nickname for his first name is Brett. Do you know what his actual real first name is in this series, or at least for this series? Sergeant? It is Narrative Mahoney, because <laughs> Narrative Mahoney makes it clear that Daredevil is a hero to the city, whereas people are scared of the shooter. Police are split, but Mahoney says that's a no-go. He says that the shooter is the latest one inspired by Daredevil, the latest devil worshiper. Got all that narrative there, Pete, from Narrative Mahoney? Yeah, but old Clemens, his, his buddy from the first season... Um, taught him well about witnesses. You treat them like mushrooms. You feed them S14 and you keep them in the dark, Matt. Great line there. Great line there. Also, Pete, just as a side question, with these devil worshippers worshipping Daredevil running around in his red suit, you know, I heard there's uh, been one of those hanging down, uh, you know, Midtown, Lower Manhattan, Stark Tower. I wonder if that's going to ever be a thing. Probably not on this show, but just want to want to want to mention that there's a lot a lot of these underru people around lately. There are. Uh, Mahoney, by the way, concludes with making it clear how bad the Punisher is. In all my years on the Force, I've never seen anyone like him. A, I mean, come on, how long has he been on the Force? <laughs> well, I, I, he's it wasn't he school chums with uh, Nelson Murdoch, who are probably early thirties at most. Uh, I. It's that's something a Clements needs to be saying, you know, I'm, I'm five days from retirement and all my years on the force. I, I just didn't buy it as much. OK, in in your eight to ten years, there hasn't been anything as bad. All right. And that's why I mean, look, Mahoney is being used this season and perhaps was used last season. It just maybe wasn't quite in the forefront, but he's being used to advance the story forward, which is fine. It just lacks a little of the nuance of TV news reporter giving update as to the shooting from last episode, which you might have watched an hour ago or a week ago. You know, to, to me, what gets it the most is as soon as he's done information, 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 goodbye, guys, off he goes. That's, that's just how Brett Mahoney is, Pete. He delivers his closing line and he walks out. Back to Matt's apartment, Matt. Whoa. That was... It's all connected, Pete. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Wait, Pete, Pete, I, I can't hear you all of a sudden. What's going on? Yeah, well, you can hear a car horn, uh, the, the water entering the glass, and suddenly silence. Then the aspirin thuds, then the glass shatters, and then there's no sound. There is the nosebleed, so I think yeah. it's... it's... To, to me, it's meant to be clear that this is, uh, you know, probably a concussion or that sort of thing. Concussion mixed with his special powers. Um, boy, I sure hope that doesn't end up being an issue later on in the episode. Um, at the police precinct, D.A. Reyes with Associate Tower comes to steamroll over the case. Uh, though, to be fair, she points out that Nelson and Murdoch have never done a, a wit sec. That's what they call it, Pete. It's just what mm -hmm. you do. Um and uh you know so the 
to, to, to help out Mr. Grote, because I guess I am Grote, you are Grote, we are Grote. Um, now's the time for them to step aside, Nelson and Murdoch, for Mr. Grote's best interests. No discussion. The foggy early in this season is even better uh, than last season. And it was very, very good. Eldon Henson has, he is the glue of this show. It's called Daredevil and it doesn't happen without Charlie Cox, but it is enhanced that much more by uh, Eldon Henson and just standing his ground in the face of D.A. Reyes and all her defense attorney destroying glory, calling her out on the on the favor that is eventually uh, going to be called in by the D.A. office instead. Yeah, you know, let me call the U.S. attorney office, you know, a.k.a. the feds, because that's their jurisdictional rap. It's just wonderful. It's great seeing Foggy pushing back. Um, and now they are the fish, the official law firm for Groot or Groot or Grotto. <laughs> Probably for Groot, too, when he gets here. <laughs> wow, that would be that's that's like a that's like a one shot right there. Come on, man. After the Affinity War, can you, you only imagine that there's some mix up in Hell's Kitchen after they come through the wormhole to Stark Tower? And, uh, you know, he needs a little legal representation. You know, the guy only says four words. Foggy and Groot in Marvel's Arbor Day. <laughs> Anyhow, in the interview room again, Grotto is asked to wear a wire to talk to Edgar Brass. Because, Pete, if nothing else, we have great names this season. We got Grotto, we got Brass, we got Tower, we got Reyes. Um, but anyhow, they, they want to get info on someone who is still, you know, alive. Um, foggy counsels that Grotto do is being asked, get Brass to talk and take down a drug ring. And uh, the DA is prepared to let him walk, though, if he doesn't want to. And then as these blue folders came out, I was like, oh, man, here's the other shoe's going to drop or they're going to do yeah. something lawyerly. Nope. Just autopsy reports. But autopsy reports from this uh, one-man army. Important, I think, to mention, though, uh, that uh, Grotto is seriously concerned about informing, nay, surveilling uh, brass. He's not just a drug dealer. He's also a butcher worse by a mile as it's explained. But these work product morgue reports explain that not only does this one man army uh, get you on the scene. Should you make it away, he's going to find you. This is not random. He is targeting them and sooner or later, the DA explains he gets his man. So you make this deal, we get you over a barrel and you do what we want. Otherwise, this guy who even has a code name, Matt, not Killdozer or dumbass with a gun, but they're calling this one the Punisher. What? I thought it was Captain Shoots. Oh, man. All of a sudden, this is a different Marvel Marvel storyline entirely from what I was uh, anticipating. Um, joking aside, though, I'm glad that they, like, they go for it. Like, you go for the nickname at this point. You live in a world where people have these names. There's the Iron Man. There's et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's all the more logical, let alone you could just see 
you know, the New York City tablo- tabloids with uh, screaming headlines, you know, the Punisher attacks, et cetera, et cetera. But Pete, the story moves to a to a local businessman. Okay, we've seen them on the TV with the uh, Las Vegas pawn shop. This is just—I'm sure this guy is just as lovable. Uh, the pawn you shop mean owner dealing in guns and meth. Well, <laughs> like, I, like that one was. <laughs> as it turns out, maybe yeah, maybe a little bit less so. The junkie is at the pawn shop to share uh, his purse with the IKEA phone and birth control pills. Um, Got to have, you know, can't be careful enough. That, you know what? That's absolutely right. <laughs> um, then in comes who I think we could fairly call Frank Castle, um, there to buy an encrypted radio that gets the NYPD frequencies. By the way, Pete, he's drinking from that classic Greek, Greek coffee cup. Yes. And he throws you know down. what happened in New York, man. O- only in New York. But, uh, you know, dealing in this S, Matt, we're up to 19 already. Uh, it's illegal. But this is one well-heeled hitman in The Punisher. This guy's got cash to burn. He does. And, in fact, he uh, puts some more cash on the old barrel head there to get the tape recording of him. Um, as well as the double barrel shotgun that he somehow knew was under the counter. By the way, Pete, it's around wait, this. Wait, th- he knew it was under the counter, Matt, because the camera showed it to us when he came into the the pawn store. Well, we saw it. No, no, no. That's come on. If if we see it, he sees it. I I, I guess. Well, <laughs> Pete, did did you see the ink on the pawn shop owner's neck? By the way. No. Ooh. Well, Pete, it was a uh, it was a swastika, which I think is a little setup for what's about to happen because this isn't just a guy kind of dealing in the gray of stolen purse. Uh, just to really hammer home, not just the pawn shop guy, but rather this interesting place that surely the show must be headed with the Punisher, who at the end of the day is a goodie, not a baddie. Uh, it's on his way out when the pawn shop owner offers him varying levels of porn ending with the underage stuff, and that's when the Punisher, suddenly Pete is on our side, uh, putting the open sign to closed, picking up a baseball bat, and giving an extremely effective moment to tell us that the Punisher isn't all bad. In fact, Pete, there might just be some good in him. Here's my take. Um, It escalates. It, It escalated in a way that was a little hand of the writer. Okay, what's... What's TV code for I'm a bad person is, you know, ideal in really morally illicit things. It's one thing to to deal an encrypted radio transmitter right out of Officer McDip S's 20 uh, dashboard that you can hear the mayor banging his boyfriend on and sell it for a grand. It's another thing to get into this really, really illicit sexual stuff. Matt, I didn't take it that it was video of a girl. I took it that it was the girl for a hundred bucks. I couldn't tell if he was leaving just that as the video. She's all yours. He says, I think regardless in this faster pace this season compared to last season, um, the show knows because they're shooting the scripts that they wrote that we've just gotten the first look uh, full on of the Punisher at the end of last episode. 
were I can only assume we're headed for an arc where he's not the bad guy the entire time. Um, so they want to start to demonstrate that he has a moral code and he's taking out bad guys, not good guys. Um, we'll get more of that in a little bit when we uh, when we discuss uh, Mr. Mr. Potter. But um, I mean, in this that... scene, he becomes the Batman. Wow, that cannot be argued with. And I guess uh, Batman v Pawn Shop guy, uh, we we see who who wins. And most of all, importantly, Pete, the audience wins. Hopefully, that can be said of all Batman v whoever movies. At Nelson and Murdoch, uh, Foggy is on the phone with yet another client dealing in barter, this time for some kimchi. Karen uh, hands him a bunch of bills, overdue, past two, final notice, first notice. That's a win right there. But she's also pouring over morgue reports. And there's a fear evident in her. Um, and something we referenced a little early on in terms of what she's done that our other characters are unaware of. Um, principally, and not mentioned in this episode, but you know, referenced through her backstory, her murder of uh, Wesley in the first season. And when it comes to this Punisher, uh, she's worried, does she deserve that? Eldon Henson here is at his charming best as he tries to, to reassure her and in, in a small way kind of reestablish some kindly authority over his friend and co-worker um, and subordinate. Not that he treats her as a subordinate, but he's just trying to give her this sense of stability as the 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 more senior person in the room um and Alden Henson walks that line perfectly because it's not cloying and it's not flirty and it's not I don't know it's just him recognizing that she's feeling some distress so it's his opportunity to put on that smile and say hey everything's going to be just fine and again where this character is growing even more and it could be somebody who could be played one note. He's essentially Robin. He's, uh, you know, who doesn't get to fight, who doesn't get to do these things. And in this episode, as the moral compass, helping the witness into protection, assisting his friend from having been, uh, you know, beaten up and, and, left nearly for dead on the top of the rooftop and now coming to the aid of the gal Friday. Yeah. This is very much a foggy episode in which we're seeing him be the sole lawyer, him being the sole responsible friend. Um, all while Matt is back at his apartment, which the story moves back to Matt's apartment. He hears a far off knocking and realizes that his senses, at least the normal ones have come back and Pete who's at the door. That would be Karen. Yeah, she says that she's barely hanging on, and he hugs her. And I, I, as I was taking my notes, Pete, there's the hug, and I typed, "Please, oh please, don't go for the easy smooch." And they don't, thank goodness. Let's, if we're gonna do something with that, let's tease it out. Uh, she notices the broken glass and thinks, at least initially, that it's more proof of the alcohol problem that Foggy has uh, has used as a cover for Matt. But Pete, she wants more to the story, not believing he's a boozer and saying that she's ready to hear more if and when he wants to. 
I dare say, setting up uh, some story potential for later on. Yeah, when Foggy had communicated in the previous episode, oh, those bruises and stuff, yeah, he's an alcoholic. Here, already coming full circle, and uh, Matt in possession of that knowledge, having to kind of dance around it. She uh, she also fills in Matt as to the meeting with D.A. Reyes. Um, and this recap includes mentioning for the third time that he's called the Punisher. Uh, I thought it was maybe a little in excess here. Um, there's discussion about whether the Punisher is crazy. Uh, and uh, Karen says that she's not. Uh, it's noted that it was inevitable for him to happen. We, the people who approve of Daredevil, uh, we've opened the door to men on the dark side, men who think the the law belongs to them, Pete. Yes, and with her fear and her hesitancy in the previous scene, the way that Foggy can allay her anxiety as opposed to the way that Matt, I mean, listen, we know that he is the daredevil and the conversation comes back to daredevil that maybe when we created him and we cheered him, it would open the door in such a way to these types of people Matt, I, I felt a little of our current culture, men with guns, um, of course, the difference being, and Matt points out, because he is Daredevil, that he hasn't killed anyone, uh, not that we know of, of course. But, you know, what is it about this city that makes good people shoot their way out of bad situations? You know, kind of like Karen, a good per person who was taken hostage by Wesley, who killed him. There's also reference from Matt referring to the Punisher with air quotes Hey, you can't have it both ways, show. Either they're used to their being costumed heroes, um, or it's a new idea, you know, costume heroes who have interesting names, or they're not. The fact that this guy's being called the Punisher, I mean, that's like, you know, the Zodiac Killer, or that's like, you know, whatever it is, that's the name that he has. And I, I felt like this was one, one cutesy reference too soon. We're like, okay, we get it that in, you know, if you're a comic person, he's the Punisher and that's just what you call him because that's the name. We don't need to have this, what? P Punisher? Oh, because he punishes the bad guys? Like, enough already. We went for it with, uh, with uh, D.A. Tower saying he even has a nickname. They call him the Punisher. Like, we, we've had that moment. Let's just move on. I only hope when we meet the Electra that they don't dance around the nickname. Oh man, Electra, how are things with your dad? Cause Electra. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Karen prepares to leave, saying that they all care for him. Although, as she says this, Pete, she closes the space between them, and I think everybody with a heart starts to swoon a little bit, or at mm -hmm. least swoon for her. The story then moves, Pete, to an old friend. Yes, the uh the shop here of uh, Daredevil suit creator, uh, Wilson Fisk, armorer, Melvin Potter, complete Matt with season two sweet mustache. <laughs> uh, indeed. Well, it's it, it's the summertime, Pete. Maybe he's getting a head start on uh, on Movember. Um, well, that'll catch all your uh, you know upper lip perspiration. That thing. <laughs> 
Anyhow, uh, Melvin notes that the helmet was shot right where it wouldn't kill Daredevil. Um, and then sweet, well-meaning Melvin reminds Matt they have a deal to keep each other safe and for both of them to not break the law. It's it's a it's a, a heartwarming moment. Mention again twice in this scene of Betsy and still no confirmation. Betsy, real person, girlfriend, Betsy you know, his turtle, we still don't know. And it could be either. And just the amazing way that they write and they play this character teetering between, you know, uh, on the autistic spectrum and clearly working with someone he knows uh, is a vigilante and into stuff that could land him in hot water with the law. I love it you don't make a melody without the harmony there to be in the background and to complement it. And it's little additions like Potter here. Uh, I'm thinking of the twins and Jessica Jones where mm-hmm. we don't need a Melvin Potter arc. We don't need episode 210. Potter is killed. Reveal that Betsy is the most heartbreaking thing you can imagine. You know, whatever that might be. It's his dog also dead. It's his it's his child. It's his aunt. You can just leave it like this. And it's this beautiful little thing that is un, in, into itself in the story. And it's it's just wonderful. He's a fantastic, fantastic character. The crack to the helmet. Uh, and I, I love, too, that there's so much involved in the armor that really makes it believable that this is keeping Matt safe when he's out, uh, you know, doing his thing, the crack has made the helmet fragile, like a bird egg. It's a great simile that it's going to take a couple days to craft him a new one if he doesn't sleep, but Matt needs it tonight. Okay, well, I'll reinforce the cracks, the padding, but it won't keep you safe. Indeed, that's that's stressed to the audience. Uh, not not quite Chekhov's gun, but I think enough to uh, uh, enough to be super clear to the audience. Potter's uh, helmet. <laughs> indeed, the old the old literary device of Potter's helmet. Matt and the story move to the Irish bar where where CSI has just wrapped up a day's work, and then kind of CSI in training. Matt Murdock scans the scene, having been kind of hidden uh, in, in the the I don't know the, the ceiling area he notes the blood and the fleshy material on the under underside of the bar as well as a chain with hair outside the fighting dog perhaps Uh, Mm -hmm. with that he's back on the street having slipped into normalcy but on the trail of more blood and it's it's great how this show can use no dialogue to such effect also noticeably absent in the crime scene all the meat and potatoes on the table somebody took that out of there but we digress this slow trail leading back, you know, the chain, the hair of the dog on the chain, uh, literal as opposed to the figurative that Karen was stressing with Matt before the uh, blood spots. Um, Matt's heightened senses picking up blood on a corner post, all leading him back to a building as well as the indistinct police radio chatter of the newly purchased scanner of the Punisher. 
and uh, we see the dog that he's been uh, he's been tracking. At least the dog's the dog's blood. Uh, Fido is a bit worse for wear than last time. What with the bloody bandage on his head and well, leg, he's at least patched up. And and with that, we establish that there's you know it's one thing for Punisher to go into that pawn shop and when he's offered some highly illegal stuff to take the the law into his own hands and all this fear that these other characters who don't know him yet have for him. But this guy didn't kill the dog. So there is a code, even though much has been made that the guy's a killer and he doesn't have the same moral compass that daredevil does. And he's patched this dog up. You know, he's got the the bandage on the paw, the bandage over the, the left eye there. So an animal lover. Yeah, I think it's an incredibly effective conclusion to this, you know, kind of tracking the blood uh, scene. As soon as you see the guns are in there, lots and lots of guns, that's when the penny drops and the show doesn't push it overly. The Punisher saved Fido, saved this this fighting dog um, who who is not vicious outside the fighting ring. Um, all, all Matt has to do is give him a handful of kibble and the dog calms down. So it's just great that the show doesn't oversell it. You could have Matt say, huh, guess he likes dogs or something else. They just let you figure it out. And, and that's a nice moment too. But Pete, from the literal dog to the figurative dogs of hell. Yes. Back at their garage there, bring a truck in and the, uh, the hijacker explains that Jimmy and the boys are unloading the trailer. You're going to break this down for parts. And they pull out a what we can only assume is the deceased body of the former driver. And then, Matt, the power washer goes to work. Great, great moment and great small uh, inclusion of humor here. This older gang member with one eye. Pete, he wants to protect his hearing. He's already down one eye, okay? He wants to protect his senses. Got the big old headphones on. on. He's power washing that rig, not hearing the gunfire behind him, or at least not completely. You get this moment of levity where he's kind of looking at the power washer. What's wrong with it? Is it there's some weird noises. He even looks in the nozzle. Yep. Um, and then back he goes to work until a body flies his way and he faces the Punisher I was convinced that they that the Punisher had killed him just, you know, off camera since it's a, a kindly one-eyed old gang member that, you know, why, why show it in person? But uh, perhaps that's not the case. Back in the Punisher's apartment, I guess, uh, the police scanner continues to go off and the camera mat settles on a bunch of improvised smoke grenades. We hear chatter. Uh, Reyes, are we in position? Uh, we've got eyes on brass, um, and he's uh, moving northeast to the warehouse. We're about five minutes out. Send in Grote in five. The story moves to just that. The same Reyes uh, kind of at, at HQ, or at least mobile HQ. Um, here, Foggy confirms that uh, the, all Grotto has to do is get brass to say he's dealing drugs. Great line from Reyes who says, if Grotto wants to walk, fine. There's now plenty of lowlifes that are ready to leave crime permanently. The implication being on account of the Punisher. Yeah, and the, the, the quick need to 
raise the stakes here again. Okay. You're going to send a guy in wired grotto, though it's not puffing out on him repeatedly refers to the, uh, the wire as an eight track player. And, you know, why not just put a camera on me, uh, that he signed in his death warrant, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we've got to kind of put the, uh, idea in place more so than the pieces that he's taking a real risk by going in and doing this. It's slightly over the top, but it serves its purpose. Something that I think slightly undersold its purpose in retrospect is the notion that Grotto doesn't need to worry about dirty cops. Fisk took down a lot of bad eggs on his way down. I think that that is meant to link up to the cop in the shipping container in, in, you know, that we'll be discussing in about 90 seconds. Right. And, and maybe I just missed the connection on, on viewing, but to me, there kind of wasn't to go from, Hey, there's not dirty cops out there that we should be worried about. Right. To, Hey, there's a cop in the shipping container. I think that's set up and payoff potentially for us to be misled momentarily. And I think it just didn't quite gel together. Yeah, I I don't think it landed either because you're wondering, is this somebody else that we have to worry about? Uh, The way they were playing that cop in shadow once uh, Grotto's out there in the open asking Brass to deal some H. Um, The old old horse (laughs) goes racing up your arm. You know, but when you're not chasing the dragon, you're chasing shadows here. And we're not quite clear if that is the Punisher or not, both in world and as viewers. Well, one thing that we are clear about, Pete, right before Grotto does uh, does leave to to go on the street uh, is uh, that he asks Karen for a goodbye kiss. Uh, Well, first there's a heartfelt goodbye. Then he asks for the kiss and he gets a middle finger. But Pete, he seems not to mind too much. No, he doesn't. Um, There was a fake out finality to their interaction here. I'm watching this and I said, this guy's toast. I think it's all part of the all part of the the fun of the scene, the fun of the reveal. And as Grotto gets onto the street, there's lots of gold and green and black on the screen, lighting things up. This is uh, from director and purple. There was purple there um, on the thoroughfare, way way in the background, but it oh. was very clearly and deliberately lit up. Second time I've noted it in. Uh, in two episodes so little little uh mr purple Kilgrave uh hangover perhaps or crossover pete these two episodes directed by phil abraham one of the best directors on tv a former cinematographer himself uh, emmy winning cinematographer for uh, a show you haven't heard of pete called the madison avenue men um but this is a guy who directs about six episodes of tv a year uh, for the last two years, two of those six per year have been Daredevil, uh, the first two of each season. And I mean, I, I don't think that any of these episodes feel lacking in their direction. But, you know, this is a guy who is an all star and you can see it in scenes like this. Absolutely. And when we're finally in that shipping container and we're whisking back and forth to the uh, surveillance station where our DA found it a little uh, 
again, over the top that the DA would be in on the snare as opposed to, you know, not doing lawyer things. Yeah, it might just be uh, another case of narrative convenience, uh, particularly since we know this isn't for brass. Uh, although maybe that's the flip side. If you have the DA there to to watch what's about to unfold, does that make the legality of it, the lethality that they're hoping for? Does that kind of keep everybody all on the same side? Regardless, though, Grotto gets pulled into that ship, uh, shipping container by a cop. And there's the reveal that uh, Grotto is bait for a high-powered killing of the Punisher. If you can imagine such a thing, Pete, uh, police using such force. Well, they've upped the ante in terms of needing to uh, bait him. The package delivered here at Grotto getting a vest. Overwatch position, visual is lost, etc., etc. But uh, Karen pushes a button and we're able to hear... Attack channel one that the target is inbound and uh, suddenly we've got that truck from the dogs of hell garage inbound must be the punisher right matt turns out it was, the whole thing was a diversion uh so that uh the punisher could get to his real target we see him high atop a water tower what He's... a what a great shot let's let's point out you know the, the use of water towers in these first two episodes alone as uh you know setting has been brilliant again just hope they steered clear of the legionnaire's disease <laughs> that was so rampant in new york city at the end of uh, our last summer, but this this shot that cranes up and then looking down on the crashed um, truck with uh, John Bernthal lining up the shot, just you know, if if Abraham didn't have his hands all over that as a cinematographer, I don't know who did. Well, he's about to take the shot there. Then one of his homemade smoke bombs drops and Daredevil's on the scene. Uh, there's a fun added effect of the police firing at the water tower, uh, letting the water come out and spray uh, spray the scene. It's just more, more to see visually. Um, How about the ricochet of the baton that is our visual cue that Daredevil has regained at least temporarily his super senses to be able to pluck that out of the air and then again matt highly stylized violence absolutely and all this amidst the fact that the police don't have a clear shot um reyes orders them to shoot anyway um the fight though between daredevil and and punisher i couldn't help but be thinking of uh of the infamous five minute fight from from last season so to me what we see here it's a serviceable fight um it's it's one in which it's worth mentioning that the punisher takes a bullet uh before they go th both go through a skylight to the relative safety of the empty room below they can't all be that hallway sequence from the end of the second episode but uh take heart matt there's other stuff coming but for Punisher to, to get plugged in the right arm, for them to be dodging bullets during this fight adds another level of varnish on top of the fight, suddenly falling through the skylight. And there's just this great nonverbal 
character moment between the two of them once they stand up and, and kind of circle and, and size one another up. Um, Punisher looking at Daredevil trying to figure out what he's dealing with. And here's again the character acting of Charlie Cox, the visor on inside the, the lenses of the helmet and never more blind than we've seen him before uh the the sounds the the groaning the grunting and uh this is how punisher is able to get the upper hand pete we move to foggy who uh rushes to the 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 scrum of cops around the uh the skylight there revealing the room is empty blood stain on the floor uh and then in what i thought was narrative efficiency we see more police uh enter that space there's reference made to he's gone the building is secure the building is empty and uh both punisher and daredevil are gone to end the episode all right matt let me tell you now about nj toys and collectibles which has been family owned and operated with a passion for toys and collectibles for over 20 years. They carry a wide variety of items from Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, as well as many other comic heroes. They proudly ship internationally. And if you buy now and use our exclusive coupon code podcast, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you can save 10% on your first order. NJ Toys and Collectibles is your source for exceptional vintage and modern toys. Visit www.njtoysandcollectibles.com. That's NJ Toys and Collectibles today. Objection, Your Honor. He's badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Matt, let's begin with District Attorney, no first name, Reyes. Great casting here. I mean, it's somebody who you you buy is smart, well-educated, well-placed, uh, you know, professional, all of that, but also willing to bend the law, not break the law, but bend the law. Uh, towards what she feels is is best in the interests of the people she serves, which is the community as a whole. I think if we step back from all the variety of details uh, surrounding, you know, these are characters that we enjoy and we want to root for the Punisher as the anti-hero and so forth. If you heard, oh, police caught the shooter that's been shooting up, you know, bad guys lately, I think most of us would go, oh, okay, well, sorry to hear the bad guys died now there's not somebody blowing people's heads off okay back to my back to my toasted oats um so i don't fault her for that line of thinking i'm just glad that she lost out to our heroes nelson and murdoch helped by page the character is what she needs to be and there's that skirting of the line between bulldozing uh you know lesser experienced law firm and um you know, knowing when she's pretty much been called out as trying to overtake the situation. But, um, you know, to, to put her in that later scene 
during the uh, surveillance and and the baiting. That that's the one issue I I took with her presentation. Um, clearly, she was a part of that plan. If not, it's mastermind. And I, I just don't think in a real world sense that it happened. But it serves the story, and she serves the story. And then Matt, there's the guy with the code name, the Punisher. Wonderful little arc that they've given him in this episode to make it super clear, not once but twice, as discussed, uh, that when it comes to disgusting things like uh, the abuse of children and animals, we know where the Punisher lies. He lies with us, and the people that are that are in opposition to him on that deserve their punishing. Um, I, I, again, I continue to be so impressed and pleased with the pace this season, given that it suited last season's story to hold off on the Fisk reveal, the, the nameless reveal, the kingpin, to hold off on that. Here, we're jumping right in because it's a different arc entirely, and I think we're headed somewhere where maybe Pete, he ends up off the, the baddie list before it's all said and done. Well, bear that in mind, we still haven't said the character's given name, just his code name. So there is a little bit of, of playing with that trope still. But, uh, you know, we, we know we're going to find out more about him to to get these overt uh you know, nods to some kind of line and code that he serves. Um, John Bernthal lobbied so heavily for this role and spoke to us at New York Comic Con in light of how much this character means to law enforcement and to the military in particular and has done everything so far in these two episodes to really come across on screen that he's going to be brutal, but it's not without a purpose. I remember at New York comic con, he seemed unusually humble. And I wondered if that was maybe lack of convention experience or, or whatever it was, but he just came across as so concerned that he wanted to represent this character properly for the fans and for the people who take inspiration from the good that the Punisher does. And, and you wouldn't think that that humble guy just saying, I just hope I got it right for the fans is the same guy who you believe is going to take that baseball bat to the pawn shop owner's head and not stop until the melon's broken. Your Honor, may I approach the bench? May I approach the bench? time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. Matt, let's start with Daredevil's damage. I appreciate that we have characters that are, that are uh, paying a price and taking a toll, though I think on a certain level you could argue that the end of this episode Daredevil can't fight Punisher uh, with 100% um, leaving us a cliffhanger or putting them together in the same space or wherever the next episode takes us. Uh, that might be where they wanted to end up at, and then they worked backwards there to a great cliffhanger and the, uh, well, I won't quite say brain damage, but the, the concussion. Um, it works as a through line nonetheless, that he he has suffered 
some some level of brain trauma here. It's affecting him differently than the average person, given that he has different uh, skills than the average person. And to me, it's just a uh, it's it might be hand of the writer, but it works. I'm sorry. All of that was inaudible as I was squatting against my brick wall here, snapping my fingers, waiting to be able to hear again. So let me tell you, Matt, when you have this damage, this loss of senses that you've inflicted uh, the character of, of Matt Murdock with now, in terms of his arc, seeing him uh, achieve his powers in the first season, flashing back to seeing him grapple with them early on and Stick's involvement in terms of coming to master them. It's got to happen at every point with a superpowered hero that they face after they've mastered them, the potential loss of them. So it is writing 101. That being said, the smart way in which they handled it the the sound the the overwhelming nature of it between the screeches and the thuds and then fading out to nothing the balance issues everything that would come from a character who uses his hearing to such advantage uh really really works and even the smart idea of the nosebleed and here's a guy that uses his nose in sniffing the blood later on to try to get a beat on is it human? Is it canine? Et cetera, et cetera. Really, really nuanced and smart writing. If you're going to do a trope, present it in a new way, as they do here, present it artfully, and it works. How about Karen's potential punishment? I don't know how to take that. Is that something that they... Is that something that they inserted in order to be a character moment and a reference to last season is that something that um the punisher picks up on i mean i kind of have to think that whatever his code is you have drug dealers and and mafioso types criminal organization types does karen fit into that basket i don't think so but um i i guess time will tell the one thing I would have liked, and I found myself for a second, all right, who, who, did, who did she kill again? Who's she referencing? Okay, Wesley, um, you know, to, to come back to it there. But you have to remember, she had been backed into a corner, and I, I think to hint at it here, good. To maybe perhaps later, if they're going to carry this idea that uh, the Punisher is punishing people for Fisk because there's that connection that was floated in the, the first episode of this season. Well, then clearly she would make some kind of list. Uh, and we're still not quite clear who he is public punishing and why, but, uh, you know, maybe some, some flashback fodder there in terms of, uh, what she had done just as an exposition point, to catch everybody up could be helpful. If not, give us an opportunity to see the outstanding Toby Leonard Moore once this season. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you 
had to say. Pete, first up, we had a call to the listener line from uh, Jeff John Cox. That's JJ Nado on uh, on Twitter, JJ Nadao on Twitter, and uh, let's take a listen to what he has to say. This is at JJ Nado, Jeff. Um, I'm talking about Daredevil episode 202. I thought the drama in this episode was exceptional and I really liked the twists and turns. I I didn't like the fight between Daredevil and Punisher on the rooftop in what essentially amounted to the rain. Uh, I thought it was wonderfully choreographed, but it was a little too CW. It was a little too Flash or Arrow. Uh, You had the bullets ricocheting everywhere, the horrible shot of the police snipers. I think I tweeted that it was uh, they, all of a sudden, the police in that in New York City had the aim of Imperial stormtroopers. So, and it's funny because in the next episode, you have possibly the best fight sequence of the entire series. That's my beef with episode two hundred two. Yeah, no, thank you, uh, Jeffrey, for calling in there. And uh, Matt will give the uh, the number again to our listener line in a moment so that uh, we can hear from all of our other listeners, potentially. Um, I, I agree with some of it. I disagree with, with others. I, you know, I don't get the references to those other shows that he was making. Because, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what those are. But uh, I do think that we have to give a little bit more credit to that fight scene. Um, yeah, choreographed, as he said. But I think atmospherically, the way that, all right, if we wanted to do it in the rain, you just hook those machines up and you do it. Instead, to to make it an errant shot from... Uh, one of our Imperial Stormtrooper, uh, uh, you know, NYPD members, and to make that the cause, added a, another layer that I, I think we haven't seen before. And again, for them to be fighting while they're being shot at, it's it's just a different type of scene. And I think that it works with everything that we have going on with daredevil and we know the the dramatic irony the the crippling of his senses i love jeff's uh, comment there that all of a sudden the nypd turns into a bunch of imperial stormtroopers that can't can't hit these guys whose heads keep bobbing up above the surface granted they do get punisher's arm but his his point is a good one and one that had us uh cracking up as we uh, as we listen to it there the little tease too, pete for me and my spoiler free existence the tease of the best fight of the entire series for the next episode i, I can't wait so thank you again jeff for calling in uh people who want to call in uh the listener line number to our our, our google voice is 732-707-1815 and uh goes straight to voicemail i see i see uh that uh, jeff called in uh in the middle of the night which is certainly no problem because there's there's no phone ringing there's just our our, our google robot much like superman's kellex that uh, that uh, takes your message there. So hope to hear more from Jeff and from uh, from other listeners there on the listener line. Yes, thanks again there, Jeffrey and listeners. And another thanks to our listeners uh, who have been heading over to Patreon. That's www.patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek and helping us to defray some of the costs that come along with producing this podcast as many podcasts 
as we do across the the various shows and uh you know really really uh helping us in terms of uh getting this thing off the ground yeah and in addition to the uh the whole uh bunch of ways that uh we say thank you on the patreon page we're actually working on something a little uh Something a little under wraps, a little extra nugget to say thank you to uh, to everybody who helps out there, regardless of the uh, regardless of the uh, the amount in which they help. We're working on just just a little extra nugget to say thanks. So we'll tease that for now, and uh, certainly hope that uh, that you go on over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek to uh, to see what's what. Wow, I don't even know what that is, so uh, have to check that out. It, it certainly is secret, Pete, but you know what isn't a secret is that people can follow you on Twitter. How can they do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-7287. Followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways in addition to the listener line. We are Fantastic Geek, that's Fantastic with a PH, and you can find us under that name on the Gmail, the .com, the Twitter, and the Instagram. And the Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like us today. Well, Pete, next up for us this week, in addition to continuing with Daredevil, will be uh, the latest Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Plus, later in the week, we will uh, cross comic paths and uh, share our thoughts on Batman v. Superman. Uh, This is apparently a a brand new thing coming out, so I look forward to checking that out. Batman, he was the guy in the pawn shop. Oof. Well, that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I'm going to go power wash the cab of my truck. I'm back, back in the New York.